The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Monday edition of PFTOT. Now, Chris, I've been carrying this this burden for the past four weeks well three weeks i went to the beach for one week but pftot continued even when pft live was on hiatus because we needed some repository for the things that were happening hey, but we're good back job now way to go we're back you're being sarcastic way we're back at it and we've got things that we need to elaborate on that we didn't have time to talk about maybe as much as we would like to and we've got some things we didn't get to today so th- this is as jammed of a pftot that i can remember and i could have added several more topics to the list of things to discuss. And let's start with something that we did discuss because Odo Beckham Jr. is now in Cleveland. All the talking's over. Forget about the Giants. Forget about his past. What kind of an impact is this guy going to have on an offense that, that has Baker Mayfield at quarterback, Jarvis Landry, who was great last year in his first season with the Browns, running backs who can get it done, a tight end in David Njoku who can be a dangerous weapon in the passing game. What will Odell Beckham Jr. do in this offense, especially in comparison to what he did with a less accomplished Giants offense? Well, I I just think it's almost like when you play the Cleveland Browns, it's going to be pick your poison uh, to a degree. You're going to, you know, what do you defend exactly, right? And I think the biggest impact with Odell Beckham Jr., you know, I expect the stats to be really good, certainly, but... Everyone knows he's Odell Beckham Jr. He's really special. He's really talented, like we're already hearing from a guy like Baker Mayfield who's saying uh, he's doing things that I've never seen receivers do before, and it's already a, it's only a week into training camp, okay? So he's going to take, I think, just so much attention to where it's just going to make others thrive, not only Baker Mayfield, but I think Jarvis Landry. You know, yes, he gets catches. I think his yards per catch will go up, though, because there won't be the focus on him. Odell Beckham Jr. is have a lot of double team two safety you know two safety looks or the safety over the top of him to where now I just go okay you got Baker Mayfield who can really throw it and is smart that run game this offensive line in Cleveland's very good too and then you mentioned some of the other weapons to go along with it that's where I just go ooh, this is where it can be really special let alone Odell Beckham Jr. is special himself yeah and I think the bottom line is you have to figure out how many resources you're going to de- devote to Odo Beckham Jr. You got 11 guys on defense, and it's up to you to figure how you're going to allocate them. And and I, I assume that Beckham gets doubled, right? Yeah, he always gets I mean, doubled, right? Yeah, and, and so Jarvis Landry's going to have single coverage, and Joku's going to have single coverage. You're, you you know how many guys are you going to have in the box to try to slow down Nick Chubb and then Kareem Hunt and exactly. maybe some Duke Johnson sprinkled in there and then Baker Mayfield is the guy that's making it all happen the guy who showed us last year the impact he can have with lesser talent then than he's going to have now look I I don't want the Browns to walk into this buzzsaw of ridiculously high expectations but when I think about this offense 
how how can you not have ridiculously high expectations? I know, right, Mike? And then, you know, think about this is another guy that I'll say I think is really going to benefit from Odell Beckham Jr. Antonio Callaway, right? The guy, the, uh, the the rookie should have been first-round pick in the 2018 draft who had some off-the-field issues but showed promise last year. And he's one of those guys a little like an Odell Beckham Jr. where if he's one-on-one, you go, ooh, let me take a peek because he can run by just about anybody. And as you mentioned, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to see double coverage a whole lot. And I think Antonio Callaway can be really the guy that benefits from this uh, ultimately. But I'm so excited to see this, Mike. You know I'm a fan of Odell Beckham Jr. You know what I think of him as a player. And I just can't say it enough, Mike. And I can't throw names out there. And I really wish I could. But, man, Mike, do I have a lot of big-time coaches and people around the NFL that when Odell was talking about getting – or to talk of him being traded and things like that, and I'd have some big-time coaches ask me just in conversation, what are your thoughts on Odell? Man, some of the things that they would follow up and say, he is viewed by some big-time names in the NFL as, like, one of the most talented receivers to ever be seen in football, and I just hope he can live up to those expectations and we can have fun watching them this year. Yeah, everything he does is special. What he does to get open, what he does when the ball is anywhere right. in the vicinity, what he does with the ball after he catches it, like a quick slant and off he goes, yep. shot out of a cannon. Right. There's a lot that he can do, and it's going to make it very exciting this year for the Cleveland Browns, even though the expectations may be a little too high, even though Freddie Kitchens a year ago, we never would have pegged him as a guy who was going to be a head coach in 2019, and adversity is going to happen. How will they deal with it? But for now, it looks like it's going to be a potentially special year for the Cleveland Browns. The New Orleans Saints would love to have Odell Beckham Jr., but they have Michael Thomas instead, and he's under contract, and he is holding out in an effort to get a new deal. I was told as of Friday, because I'd heard some rumblings that maybe the Saints were getting exasperated and thinking about trading Michael Thomas. I heard they're actually close. Now, it's not done until it's done. Close doesn't matter. And Chris, my gut feeling is Michael Thomas wants $20 million a year on a five-year extension. Saints are at about $19 million a year on a five-year extension. That's a million a year on a five-year deal, $5 million total where they have to close that gap. I'd like to think they can get it closed. But I also look at the Saints and I say post-Drew Brees, is Michael Thomas really a guy who's going to bring $20 million per year of value if you don't have a quarterback? like Drew Brees there to deliver the football? That, that's a valid question. You know, I, I think I look at it like this. You know, Michael Thomas, I don't put in the class of like Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Brown, you know, Mike Evans, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think he's the next group of guys. And I know people, some people disagree with that out there. And I, within saying that, I still realize he's awesome football player. Your point's real. I get it. The post-Drew Brees era, certainly. But I think also you can flip that around and look at it the other way and go, well, if we have a guy like Michael Thomas, you know, whoever we bring in post Drew Brees era, at least has a chance to succeed. And the other thing too here where Michael Thomas, I think has incredible leverage in this situation is, you know, at the wide receiver position, New Orleans isn't extremely talented there. And the, all the different ways they use Michael Thomas. Not, you know, again, like I said, I don't think he's as talented as Odell and Antonio Brown, but what the way Sean Payton uses him and moves him around and has made him such a vital part of the offense now, that's where I think he really has leverage over the football team because he is the go-to guy in the pass offense, and because of his size and physicality, he is a matchup from the slot position, and that's where I think he'll ultimately be able to command that money, Mike. 
Yeah, I mean, bottom line is I think they need to find a way to get this done. And, you know, business is business. And they, they try to, you know, they, everybody's trying to do the best deal they possibly can. The team wants to pay less. The player wants to get more. It was a surprise holdout. Most of the others we knew were coming. That one just kind of happened. But uh, the Saints and Michael Thomas, they need to get this this gap closed. They need to get him into camp. If they want to build on the last two seasons and 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 start in, in the kind of way that's going to make them forget about the NFC Championship game, getting this done right. will help. There's another holdout in Jacksonville. And I, Yannick Ngakwe, one of the best young pass rushers in the NFL, he wants a contract on par with Frank Clark, Demarcus Lawrence, D. Ford. But, you know, the Jaguars had Maurice Jones-Drew seven years ago, held out, stayed out all of training camp, all of the preseason. They didn't blink. That was the first year Shad Khan owned the team. And uh, you, I, I, you know, will they blink now? Should they blink now? I mean, I, I think pass rush is a critical position, Chris, and I can understand why Yannick Ngakwe is holding out. I just don't know that the Jaguars are going to feel motivated to do anything about it. Well, I, you know, I, I would think they would be. I mean, it's such an important position. The pass rushers of Yannick Ngakwe's talent are, are rare, certainly. I mean, I think the first thing I think of here, Mike, is, man, a little like we've talked about with the Dallas Cowboys before, Jacksonville's got a lot of people coming up that are going to have to be paid. I mean, we've talked about Jalen Ramsey, you know, Miles Jack. He's going to be another guy that's going to be paid like the number one linebacker in football but I think ultimately yeah they're gonna have to pay Yannick Ngakwe I think they will too I mean Calais Campbell he's getting up there in years I, I this might be his last year with Jacksonville who knows where that goes uh, but I think it's been pretty special to this point and you could sit there and argue that Yannick Ngakwe has outperformed Demarcus Lawrence in the short career to this point to where if Demarcus Lawrence is a hundred million dollar man then Yannick Ngakwe deserves to be in that conversation too and I think ultimately within that Seattle defensive scheme and the way they want to play there down in Jacksonville, this is an important position, and I think they'll find some way to get Yannick Ngakwe as cash. They got with Ngakwe the guy that they thought they were getting in Dante Fowler Jr. Yeah, right, right? Mike. Right. And and the, the, the reality is you got to pay him at some point. Now, they can squat on him for one more year. They can do the franchise tag thing next year, like – and then pay them like like Ford and Clark and Lawrence all got, although two of them had to be traded to get the money they wanted. But you know, look, he's taking a stand, and that August 6th deadline, important to remember, because for Yannick Ngakwe, if he doesn't show up by then, he doesn't get a fourth year of credit toward free agency. So next year he would be a restricted free agent, not an unrestricted free agent, and uh, that could change the analysis because the Jaguars could squat on him for less far less than what it would take under the franchise tag. All right, RG3. We don't talk about him much, the backup quarterback in Baltimore, a guy who may ultimately be very important to that team if yeah. Lamar Jackson gets injured. RG3 is injured, slammed his helmet or slammed his hand against a helmet or his helmet against his hand. It may have been his own helmet. Either way, his hand hit a helmet on Saturday night and uh, his thumb is broken. Now, he was out at practice on Sunday in gear, catching passes with his left hand. And I like the guy's spirit. I like the fact that he's that he's he loves football enough to, to put the pads and the helmet on even when he has a broken thumb. But they're going to be without him reportedly 48 weeks, Chris. This this raises real questions about the depth behind Lamar Jackson. It definitely does. And I know RG3 has opened up some eyes there in Baltimore. And, you know, he's shown that he's very worthy of being a backup quarterback. And, you know, if he gets his chance, I'd say watch out there in Baltimore, too, if RG3 does become a starting quarterback or gets in there. But you said it, Mike. I mean, man, you know, Lamar Jackson, the style of football which he plays. And we all we talk about is, man, can he continue to take the beat? and run the ball all that much and do all that. 
Wow, he goes down with a high ankle sprain or something like that. We're going with Trace McSorley from Penn State, a guy who, you know, I don't think many people really evaluated as a full quarterback. Kind of looking at him as like the Julian Edelman type of guy. Might be a slot receiver. Maybe he goes to safety. Maybe he's a special teams guy. Maybe he's like Taysom Hill in New Orleans. I think he was more looked at as that guy, but now he's going to be forced into a true backup role, and they better be careful with Lamar Jackson because I think they're rolling a dice on a really quality football team with their quarterback situation and having Trace McSorley there right now uh, but but ultimately Mike I'll ask you this what, what are they have we heard a time frame yet for RG3 as far as four when, to eight weeks four to four eight, to eight, eight weeks, weeks. Yeah. Uh, all right that's not terribly concerning well but but you have to have somebody there to distribute yeah. reps during the training camp practices you need somebody to take snaps during preseason games they're reportedly bringing in Josh Johnson for a visit and look Chris I you know, I, I think the ship has sailed on Colin Kaepernick. But remember, it was two years ago that the Ravens flirted with the idea of signing Colin Kaepernick. And where would he fit better Gosh. than in Baltimore? Yeah, perfection. With, with Greg Roman's offense, the brother of Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh last year raved about how Colin Kaepernick can win multiple championships with an S. Right. That would make a ton of sense. But uh, the Ravens passed two years ago. I feel like that that – that book is closed for good. And I think the fact that Josh Johnson's name is the first one that came up confirms kind of that, says it all. that no one is thinking about Colin Kaepernick. If the Ravens aren't going to bring him in now with Griffin injured, he's he's never going to be there or anywhere else. Yeah, I, my mind was thinking too, and I don't even know if you said this name, but you know, and you might have, so my fault. But you know, Greg Roman, the old offensive coordinator, there. Yes, did you I say that? that? Okay, sorry. I, I just that. I was yeah. thinking of my what I was going to say. I wasn't sure. Sorry. Hey, my it's bad. my job to not listen to you. How dare you not listen to me? Listen to this. The uh, Bengals aren't happy with the field conditions. They practiced in Dayton, and this is all part of the NFL's 100-season celebration. A.J. Green tore ligaments in his ankle on that practice field. I've seen different accounts of whether or not it was a result of the field, but the bottom line is the players weren't happy with the field. Tyler Boyd, Bengals receiver, called it terrible. These are quotes to the Cincinnati Inquirer. I couldn't run any routes out there. I'm falling all over the ground. It was bad. It was rocks and pebbles out there. It was something we shouldn't have been on. I'm not trying to say any excuses, but it is what it is. And, you know, Zach Taylor, the coach of the Bengals, said the field was fine. Well, he's the guy who's ultimately responsible for where they practice, so I could understand why he's defending the decision. Bottom line is A.J. Green's injured. I don't know. Would he have been injured if they were practicing in Cincinnati? That doesn't matter. What matters is he's injured, whatever the cause, and now the Bengals have to go forward with Green gone reportedly six to eight weeks. John Ross has a hamstring injury. And and this is just that thing that whatever optimism you can conjure for any team, that bubble pops once guys start getting injured, Chris. Uh, well, yes. And and for one player to make a comment about the field, that's enough right there. I mean, it's just enough. This is a guy that's, I mean, he's not looking to make excuses for training camp practice number three. Like, it's not like, you know, there's nothing. Tyler Boyd's, a, Tyler Boyd's a hell of a football player. He's one of the go-to targets for the Cincinnati Bengals. He doesn't want to say comments like that. He's being honest. And it's just a shame that here we are in 2019, the NFL making $20 billion a year, that we're going to do this to players and even have this a thought 
or the, the, the fact that this is a conversation to me is an, it's embarrassing. It really is. And I just don't get it at all to where, how you're going to put professional athletes who you've invested all this money into already. And then you were not going to invest, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars or maybe just a hundred thousand dollars to make sure that these big investments can practice on the proper fields and, and really well, improve the don't, craft. Don't go to Dayton. Yes. Right. Right. You have facilities that host your practices all the time. They are kept in pristine condition. I, you know, and, and this is a, a comment, you know, this, this theory may resurface from time to time over the next few weeks, but this whole hundred season thing, the way the NFL is handled, it just feels a little clumsy to me. It feels a little scattershot. It doesn't, it just, and, and I think they're prioritizing the wrong things. Who cares about taking the Cincinnati Bengals to Dayton because there once was a team in Dayton that played in the NFL? Who cares? And, and if you're going to do it, then spend the money to make sure the practice field is fully and totally acceptable yeah. and can never be accused of being subpar by right. Tyler Boyd or anyone else. All right, right, one more topic before we wrap it up. Mike Daniels, a surprise cut last week by the Green Bay Packers. He said that plenty of teams were interested. He ultimately signed a one-year deal with the Detroit Lions. He's going to make more this year in Detroit than he would have made with the Packers. That surprised me because I thought the Packers would have traded him if there was anybody out there willing to pay him more than what the Packers uh, were supposed to pay. And Daniels says he picked the Lions because he wants to play for Matt Patricia. And that may come as a shock to the members of the Detroit media that think Patricia isn't a very good coach because, God forbid, he does things differently than the way they've been doing them for decades in Detroit. Spoiler alert, they haven't worked. <laughs> but but Matt Patricia, I, he comes from that Belichick line. He's, he's a guy who is respected by players, and he's trying to build a culture of guys who want to be there. Yes. Here's Mike Daniels, a guy who wants to be there. Wants to be there, and like you've heard me say about Bill Belichick, Matt, Patricia, they have great ways about them. They're not the people we see just behind the microphone when it's time for the press conference. A lot more player-friendly than people, I think, might realize up in New England with Bill Belichick. And Matt, Patricia, the same way. Way. great communicator the kind of guy that you know you know for lack of a better better phrase can get like defensive guys to eat out of his hand because you know they trust him oh coach always leads us in the right way I mean he's just an awesome person uh in my experience and he is brilliant and of course coming from New England and the things he's been taught there by Belichick and all the different schemes they run on the defensive side yeah to a guy like Mike Daniels he probably looks at it and goes wait okay I get to go with a guy who's worked with Belichick, who I know is an awesome defensive mind himself, and man, they're going to let me do all these different things along the defensive line. It's like a receiver going to a, you know, a Sean McVay passing offense or a Josh McDaniels passing offense, whatever it may, Sean Payton, whoever it is, he looks at this and goes, I'm going to get off for Matt Patricia because he's going to move me all around, and I'm going to show him all my different type of talents, and it's only going to increase my value, and I, I can get that aspect of it. Yeah, I, and uh, I, I agree with you completely there. And the thing about Matt Patricia, and I think that as time goes by, players will st players who are already there, they're, they're either going to adapt or they're going to be gone. Yeah, right? right. He's trying to change culture, bottom line. Yep. And for a team that has been bad for so long, the fans should welcome it, the media should welcome it, the players should welcome it, the entire organization should welcome it. People get so set in their ways, and they don't like anyone who comes in 
with with a challenge to the way that they are used to doing things because that threatens them. And I think that it's going to take some time to work through that. But this Mike Daniels, this could be kind of the tipping point where it starts to go in the Lions' direction. You know, that that's one of those teams that we're not paying attention to. Definitely. And there's always that team that we don't yep. pay attention to that ends up surprising everyone. Chris, it could be the Lions this year. It, it, it definitely could be. I mean, the NFC North is so good. And I think we said this a few times during the spring where, I mean – yeah, I mean, right now, if you may, who, how, I think a lot of people would have a lot of different rankings for the NFC North if we went through it. That's how good the division is. There's good quarterback play. There's good coaches. There's good talent on the field. I mean, right now, what, I don't know how would you stack them up. I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to go Bears 1, Packers 2, Vikings 3, Lions 4, and I can't believe I'm saying Lions 4 because there is a lot of quality players on the team along with good coaching, so it's tight there. I'd order them the same way, but here's the reality. Yeah. I think any of them can win it. Yeah, right. There's always a division like this where the order, the final order, any combination is entirely possible. Yeah. Now, envisioning the Bears in fourth place seems like a bit of a stretch, but hey, if the Lions really do step up, if the Vikings have addressed their weaknesses this year, if the Packers thrive under Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, all it takes is a little bit of a hiccup in right. Chicago, a little bit of a backslide, and they are going to be at the bottom of that division. So, NFC North top to bottom, one of the most competitive divisions in football right now, very good quarterbacks top to bottom, and uh, very good teams top to bottom, right. and any of them could end up in fourth place. I agree with you. Yeah. That, that's, it's it's got to make you nervous if you're a fan of any of those four teams. Uh, the, your team's going to be in last place. I, I mean, you you said it right, Mike. I mean, yeah, you, you get off to a slow start of the season, and then, oh, gosh, now we got to get into division play, and, man, we're the Chicago Bears, and Aaron Rodgers pulled off fourth-quarter magic, and, damn, then we, we, we outplayed the Lions the next week, but Matt Stafford then pulled fourth-quarter magic on us, and all of a sudden you're a team that had high aspirations, and you're going, damn, we're three and four, or, you know, we're two and five, and, yeah, it's the NFL. That's how close it is, and it's just it's two or three plays can change your, the whole outlook of a season, and the, the NFC North, I think, is going to be very true to that this year. Here's the other reality, too. All those teams play the four teams from the NFC East, the four teams from the AFC West. Ooh. I mean, there's a chance that that it's going to be 10 and 6, 9 and 7, 8 and 8, 8 and 8. Yeah. For those four teams. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to beat up on each other. Right. And then they're going to get beat up on and do some beating up on teams from the NFC East, the Cowboys, the Eagles the Chargers, the Chiefs from the AFC West, the Broncos are going to be better, the Raiders are going to be probably better. Yeah. Uh it's it could be a, it could be a tough rough year and whoever wins that division could be in great shape to compete in January. Yeah, no doubt about it. And yeah, within within that schedule like you said, you got to play the NFC East and the AFC West, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe it ends up being a division that's so good that only one team gets in the playoffs and then it allows three teams out of the NFC South or one of the other divisions to where it, it gives them an advantage that way, but that's brutal. AFC West, NFC East, that, that's uh, a lot of good football teams let alone the NFC North. All right, that's all we have time for today. Chris has other things to do. A new episode of Unbuttoned. Is that coming today? Are you so, back on a Monday schedule? Not Monday yet. Monday or nope. Tuesday? Tuesday, Thursday still right now. I think we'll, once we get into the season, we'll get back into three schedule, you know, three podcasts a week. Uh, but for now, we're, we're on two. Are, are you are you working four days a week now that we're back up? Or do you have to, like, break in? Is it going to be two days for one week, then three days the next week? Well, I'm all for that if you'll let me do that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you miss. Hey, I'm, I'm, I, I am willing to say 
I missed you. I know you may not believe that, but I missed you, and I'm glad that we're back. I, I, the, the text message you sent me on Friday night truly made me believe you missed me, and I missed you as well. It's good to be back in the saddle, and uh, it's going to be an exciting season. Here we go. All right, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.